So look at John chapter 10, verse 10. And so if you want to, you can look at that. But I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. And I was thinking about this this morning for the way that uh, we're going to be ministering. But John chapter 10, verse 10, in the King James Bible, Jesus said, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. How many here know that in the spiritual arena that we can't see with our natural eyes, there's not just God, but there's another family in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, it's Satan and demon spirits. Demon spirits are fallen angels. They are angels that were in heaven at one time, but Satan and uh, his angels that followed him out of heaven tried to upsurf God's authority. They wanted to take over heaven, and God wouldn't let them kick them out. They're down here. And so then God then sent Jesus to redeem us out of Satan's hand down here on earth. So we have authority over the devil. But this, this is something that Christians have got to get a hold of. I know a lot of preachers don't understand this yet. And a lot of Christians don't because the preachers don't and they don't teach it. But every time something bad happens, a lot of preachers and Christians don't know the Bible say, well, we don't know why God caused that to happen. God didn't cause it to happen. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we have to know when tragedy comes to our life and lack and poverty come to our life and misery comes to our life, don't look up to God and say, Why, why'd, you, why'd you allow this? The devil's the one out there behind these things. And God, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God put pastors and teachers in the church to teach Christians what to do about these things in life. And so we're here to show you as preachers, as teachers of the Word of God, that when things happen, you can have victory over them. But you don't blame God for it. The devil's the one behind every bad thing that comes your way. It's the devil behind it. Jesus said, the thief come to steal, kill, destroy, but I've come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. Amplified Bible says this, and this is what we're talking about today. Jesus said, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. In abundance to the full till it overflows. Jesus come for us to enjoy this life. Jesus prayed, thy will be done in earth now as it is in heaven. In heaven, the Bible teaches there's no sickness in heaven because there's no devil in heaven. There's no divorce in heaven because there's no devil in heaven to split people up. Amen. There's no rebellious children in heaven because there's no devil up there to influence the children. There's no lack in heaven because there's no devil up there to steal from people. And Jesus said, that's the will of God on earth for your family today. I want harmony in your home. I want you and your children healthy. I want you to have more than enough. I want you to be blessed on earth. But there's so many scriptures we can look at about this whole thing there, but what, what, what to take note of is James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And so we have a part to play in everything we do upon the earth. You know, your spiritual life, your born-again life started off by you hearing somewhere from somebody that Jesus died for your sins. People hear that every day, but a lot of people every day don't do what the Bible says to do, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so it's a choice. We have a choice today to be Christians or not be Christians. Then as Christians, we have a choice 
to obey the Word of God or not obey the Word of God. The choice is always ours. And so we're looking at things of the Word of God today about these choices. And based upon what Jesus said, and I choose to believe Jesus over any natural economist, over any natural politician, or any preacher that preaches out of their head and not from the Bible. Because Jesus said it's his will for us to enjoy life. He didn't say it's his will for you to have all the booze you can drink. He didn't say it's his will for you to have all the sex you can have outside of marriage. He said to enjoy life. That means enjoy life in line with the principles of God's Word. And everything that it takes for you to have a successful life, we're going to look at in the Bible, it's the will of God for you to have. And so I learned something years and years and years ago that I lived by. When I read what the Bible says belongs to me, and it's not happened in my life, then I never blame it on God. I always say this, Lord, there's a problem somewhere. I know it's not on your end. It's got to be on my end. Show me what I can do to change. Show me what it is. If I'm opening a door somewhere, show me how to close it. Lord, if I'm in disobedience, show me what I need to change my life. Because only, here's what the Bible says. And you told me this belongs to me. And it's not happening yet. Lord, show me what I've got to do to change. Because your word says you're God and you change not. You're not going to change. So somebody's got to change. It's got to be me. And so I believe today as we look at things in the Bible... We're going to help your thinking to get adjusted. And then when your thinking gets adjusted, let your heart use your mouth and begin to speak what God says about your life and then follow through with actions. Follow through with actions. Follow through with actions. Do what the Word of God says to do, and you will be blessed. And so uh, we're going to start off in Hebrews 13.8. But in... Today's message, last week when I was praying about what he wanted to say to his people today, I was praying like I always pray. I said, Lord, you already know who's going to be here Sunday. Lord, you know what questions they need answered. I always pray that. I say, Lord, what is it that people need to know? What are they asking you? What are the answers you want to give them today? And I started seeing a lot of faces in the congregation, especially young people's faces. And uh, at one point in time, my wife and I, we were, we were a young husband and wife, a young dad and mom, and we know what it's like to have kids to feed. We know what it's like to have bills to pay. We know what it's like when prices go up. We know what it's like, the uncertainties about what are we going to do, what are we going to do. Kids need clothes. Kids need medical care. Kids need educational, educational things. And so lots of things that we need. And I got to thinking about where we are right now, and I think I can honestly say out of 65 years of living, this is some of the toughest financial times I've ever seen. I think about my own personal income because of the new health care changes. My health care costs are interest stuff that i got to buy for just myself and my wife and went up a bunch this past year, and it's really cut into our pay because of all the health care changes. And so I know that if we are having to watch what we do right now, and it's tough that I think about the young families that have little mouths to feed and have to keep buying the new shoes because those feet don't quit growing. Amen. And buy those, new, buy those new pants because those legs keep growing. Those pants get shorter. And education costs, and transportation costs, and food costs. A man, food costs. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, has that changed. Wow. 
I remember when I got married, we could go to the grocery store and man, buy everything we needed. And it cost $10, man, bring home four or five sacks of groceries. Things have really changed in the last bunches of years, but especially now where we are. And so the Word of God, what I'm getting to, is God's Word does not change. God's principles do not change. God, God, God wants us to have more than enough. And really to God, I, want, I just want to just leave this thought with you to think about this. With God, what difference does it make? If his word says Philippians 4.19, and it does, what difference does it make if bread costs a dollar a loaf or $12 a loaf? If God supplies all of your need, he says, I'll supply all of your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, you know, we don't like the thought of gasoline being $10 a gallon, but if God's the one supplies the need, what difference does it make if it's 50 cents a gallon, which is what it ought to be, <laughs> or, or, or $10 a gallon? And so we have to get our eyes off of dollar amounts, get our eyes off of natural things, and look at the principles of the kingdom of God. If Satan couldn't stop you from getting born again, then Satan can't stop you from operating in the laws of God. Amen. He cannot stop the Word of God from working in your life. All he can do is try to stop you from working the Word. So long as you work the principles of God's Word, God's Word will work for you. And think about the young families uh, back, in the, back in the 70s, back in the 80s when we were raising kids, even up to the 90s. When we were raising kids, all the, well, why you say all those decades? Well, because my oldest daughter's 45 and my youngest son's 26, so we've been raising kids for decades. And so out of all those times, I can say this. We had a lot of tough times, but because of the principles of God's Word, we always came through. So many times things looked impossible about what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We always said the same thing. We're going to do what the Bible says to do. We're going to tithe. We're going to give. We're going to serve. We're not going to go back to the ways of the world. We're going to follow after God. And it always came through. Amen? And so Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, says this, Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday and today and forever. We're talking about how you can always have more than enough. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is good all the time. Jesus is good all the time. Jesus wants you to have a good place to live. Jesus wants you to have reliable transportation. He wants you to have adequate food and clothing for you and all of your family. Education things. He wants you to have everything you need. He wants you to have good health care and retirement. And Jesus even wants you, now get this, when you're facing hard times, it's hard to believe what I'm going to say. Jesus wants you to have a good vacation. Jesus wants you to have good recreation time with your family. Jesus wants you to have all these things. He said he wants you to have and enjoy life. If you've never got enough money to take a good vacation, then you're not really enjoying life. You've got to be able to have money to take a vacation. I think about last week, Pastor David Cady, uh, last Saturday, wanted to take us on a little, to a little place that probably a lot of you have been to called Wrightwood. We'd never been there until last week. Boy, I tell you what, that place was close. It was nice to walk through that little area there, go to the ice cream shop and and just walk around, 
just enjoy something different like that. Just that little two or three hours of getting away like that meant so much. But if we was poor and didn't even have gas money to get there, then we wouldn't have got to do that. And it was so nice when we got there to be able to go to the ice cream shop and not menu shop of all those kids, but to shop what we really wanted. Just say, what is it you want off there? And just say, how many scoops you want? You want the waffle cone or you want the El Cheapo? What do you want? You want, you want two scoops? What do you want? Just to be able to do that. And I remember, I remember, I remember the days back in the 80s when we never had money for ice cream cone when McDonald's came out with a quarter cone. I remember what a blessing it was that McDonald's came out with a quarter cone. And every couple of weeks we'd take all those kids down to McDonald's and get them an ice cream cone. That was such a blessing to be able to do that. And so what I'm telling you is Jesus not only wants you to be able to have food on the table, he wants you to be able to do some other things in life, too, to where your kids are blessed. I know for us, being in the ministry for a lot of years, we always did our best to bless our kids because they knew we worked for God. And we did not want our kids to go through what we saw a lot of preachers' kids go through. They said, oh, you guys, we're suffering for Jesus. We're not suffering for Jesus. We're out here working for Jesus. And matter of fact, her preacher said this way years ago, in the Old Testament, he's called El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the God that's more than enough. And preacher said, he's not El Chipo, he's El Shaddai. And so you guys have got to know that you live and you belong to El Shaddai. He's not El Chipo. But you've got to always remember there's a thief. The devil's the one that wants to lie to you and make you think that God's holding back on you. It's not God. It's the devil. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. His principles are the same for all generations. He tells us in the Gospels what to do in every situation we'll ever face in life. He tells us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John what to do. He never changes. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. And I think about these verses we're looking at today. They're verses that are real to me. That the Holy Spirit gave me when I was a young Christian. I've held on to these all these years and they've always worked. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. My words shall never pass away. But what happens sometimes when a person leaves this earth and says, Well, they passed away. That means they're not here anymore. Well, Jesus said, My words are always going to be here. They're always going to live. They're always alive. My words will not pass away. And so I'm so grateful to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the things that Jesus Christ tells us in the Gospels are still the same now as they were 2,000 years ago. So everything that Jesus taught his disciples 2,000 years ago still applies to me and you in the high desert of Southern California in 2016. Everything Jesus said back then still applies to us today right here in California. I think about, and because I'm going to emphasize the words of Jesus today, 
Back in the uh, 1980s, <laughs> that's been a couple moons ago, hadn't it? Back in the 1980s, I was an associate pastor for a uh, children's preacher. I had, had TV programs all across the country, and uh, they traveled to churches all over America and even into some foreign countries. And they started a church in central Indiana where we were at, and he asked me to be his associate pastor. So Mrs. Pastor and I, little Dave, little, little Dave was born when we went to that church. And uh, Josh was a little kid. And so anyway, this, this, because he emphasized children's ministry all the time, he used to make this statement. And I was thinking about this this morning. And I want you to get this. Remember Jesus said, come to him as a little child? He said, have childlike faith. Well, this pastor used to say this all the time to kids. He said it on TV and he said it to the kids of the church. He said, boys and girls, Jesus Christ is the best friend you'll ever have. Jesus Christ is the best friend you'll ever have. And, you know, I want, to tell, I want to tell you how real that is to me. It was always real to me as a baby Christian, but as a pastor, it's really real to me. If I have a problem in life, in the church, family problems or other problems, which one of you am I going to come to? I'm your spiritual dad. The dad don't come to the kids for advice. The dad don't come to the kids whining and crying about what am I going to do? Who have I got to go to? The same one I've always had. Since I met him back in January of 1980, the same Jesus I talked then when I was a week old is the same Jesus now. I got a problem now. It's the same thing it's always been. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know you know. Jesus, I love you. I got on my knees this morning in my study room. Mrs. Pastor's in Rhode Island. Today's her mom's 94th birthday. You know, Pastor Dave already told you that. 94th birthday today. And I don't know about you, but we've been married so long, so much part of each other, that it's just a different world to me when I'm by myself. Man, she's not there to tell me when to go in and come out, so I've got to do it myself. But I was on my knees this morning, feeling kind of, oh, Jesus. And I took communion this morning. And I said, Jesus, I want to thank you that this represents you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I want to thank you for your blood. Lord, I want to thank you for your blood. It's cleansed me and it's cleaned me. And Lord, I want to thank you that you're the one that saved me. You called me. And I have more than enough because I rely on you to go in and help your people today. And I can do what you want me to do. And what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you, you may have a boss that lets you down. You may have another Christian let you down. You may have politicians let you down. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what the answer is. His answer is not going to come out of thin air. He said, my words will never pass away. You need to make it your regular, everyday habit to talk with Jesus. I remember when I drove 18-wheelers. I was, I, was, I was a professional truck driver for 28 years, believe it or not. <laughs> drove trucks for a lot of years. And I remember those trucks kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And the streets of Indianapolis still had the same narrow alleys and streets they had back in the long time ago when they didn't hardly have anything at all big. And I remember I'd, I'd drive those big trucks, 
And I remember who my co-pilot was with me in those trucks. I'd say, Jesus, help me make this corner without hitting something. I'd say, oh, Jesus, help me back into this place. Jesus, help me do this. Jesus. And you know what? Because I learned to rely on Jesus as a truck driver, it's easy to rely on Jesus as a pastor. Because the same Jesus that knew how to help me do good with trucks helps me do good with people, to do with ser- good with sermons. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying moms and dads, single moms, single dads, whoever you are in this church today, whatever it is you need, whatever you're facing, Jesus Christ is your best friend. Jesus Christ is your best friend. Your rich buddy, your rich relative may or may not help you, but Jesus will. Jesus knows where the money is. Jesus knows where the provision is. Jesus knows where it's at. And you know what I learned a long time ago? When we were young parents and didn't have a lot, I come to find this out, especially as we uh, grew and matured and we prospered more financially, that all those times we were crying out in faith to Jesus to help us with food, clothing, transportations, we come to find out there were other people that had it were praying, Jesus, who could I help? And so now, as we're older, mature in life, we're able to do more, we're praying, Jesus, who can we help with this? What can we do? And I can tell you, as pastors of this church over the years, there's been many, many, many times, this is not bragging, it's just what we've done, there's been many times we've made somebody's house payment in this church. We've paid somebody's rent in this church. We've given somebody a deposit to get into a place in this church. We've helped people make car payments, helped people make insurance payments. We've bought lots of food, taken to people's houses here. But you know what? We're so glad to do that because when we were young and had nothing, boy, it meant so much to us, and we never forget where we came from. I remember what it was like not to have food and somebody to bless us. I remember what it was like not to have things at Christmas time and somebody bless us, take care of us. So we're glad to do that. So what am I telling you? I've said this to you. If you're in a place in life right now that things are tough and you look to Jesus and not to man, Jesus knows who the man is that can help you today. And so the whole thing is your connection's got to stay serious with Jesus. And it was your loving Jesus and talking to Jesus that Jesus talked to somebody else that wants to help you. They just got to locate you. And when Jesus tells them where you are, then they'll come and help you. Amen? Is this helping anybody? Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus is on your side. And so, anyway, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. And this is not my norm, but I really like the way I looked this up the other day and saw this. This is so good. New Living Translation. We're going to look at this and look at some things in this that he says. But I'm going to read verse 24 to 34. And then I'm going to comment on some things out of here that I really believe will help you to be able to know how to have more than enough. No matter what your status is in life in the natural. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your Heavenly Father feeds them. 
I love that. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God so wonderfully, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown to the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And live righteously. I want to say that again. Not only seek God's kingdom, but live righteously. He will give you everything you need. He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so I want you to notice in verse 24 that Jesus said, You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus doesn't mind you having money, but Jesus doesn't want money to have you. Jesus doesn't mind you having money, but Jesus doesn't want money to have you. I want to tell you a story that, uh, you know, everybody lives their life how they want to. But I know that in my life, because of these principles, the most important number one thing to me in my life is where my family is going to spend eternity. My pension, my health care, my car, my house are not as important to me as knowing that my kids are going to go to heaven. As knowing my grandkids are going to be raised right to go to heaven. And we're going to get to verse 33 a bit where it says, put the kingdom first and live it how he wants you to live. But he said you can't be a slave to money and serve God too. He didn't say he don't want you to have money because he said God wants you to give you everything you got. He said you can't let money be what tells you what to do. Back in 1985, back in the late 1970s, we had a president in the late 1970s that uh, really began a lot of things that's going on today that's caused us a lot of problems. And back at that point in time, he had a goal to deregulate trucking. He wanted to bust up unions. And I'm not preaching any kind of politics or unions and stuff like that. But anyway, I was a Teamsters truck driver. And this man wanted to change our whole trucking system, transportation system in America. When he did, within about four or five years, at least half of the Teamsters truck driving companies went under. The next few years, 90% of them went under that were Teamsters truck driving companies. Well, as a, as, as a Teamsters truck driver then, that was heading head towards a pension and things like that in Teamsters, every company I worked for was went out of business. The one I worked for that was started in 1927, they went under. And every other company started going under. And so they were hard to get those jobs. And I had a wife, kids, and things to take care of. And you couldn't get a truck driving job. I mean, if you're a truck driver, that's what you're trained at. What do you do? And so anyway, in 1985, that's the year Pastor Dave was born. In 1985, I finally got a company that was putting, putting drivers on. And so when you start off in trucking, 
You start off being on call, and most of the call you do is replacing their drivers that are off during the week, so you come in in the daytime, and that's what I always did for years. And so I came in, this company used me for about six months, where I came in every morning, 7 or 8 o'clock, man, just like I always did. And so then they put me on probation to become a truck driver for their company. And so on my last day of probation, the owner of the company walked out, shook my hand, said, congratulations. He said, he said, I'm glad you're going to be our employee now. I said, well, thank you. He said, by the way, said your schedule's going to be Thursday night to like Tuesday night. And said, you'll come in at 5 o'clock and get off at whatever time. The morning. I said, what? You mean I'll be gone every Sunday and every Wednesday on this nighttime shift? He said, yeah. He said, that's what the new ones do. I said, nobody told me that. I said, that means that when my kids get out of school, they won't see me. That means I won't be able to take my family to church on Sunday. That means I won't be able to take my family to church on Wednesday night. I looked the guy in the eye, the owner of the company, couldn't get jobs for anything back then. And I said, well, I said, I have to apologize to you there for all the money you invested in me, for all the tests it took to get on here, and put all you invested in me, because this is my last day. I said, I'm a born-again Christian. The most important thing in me, in my life, is my family. I said, I'm working here to take care of my family. I said, if I take this job at that point in time, we had, what, six kids. I said, if I take this job, I'll never see my kids. If I take this job, I won't get my wife and kids to take them to church to teach them the ways of the Lord. I told the man this, and I turned around, finished that shift, and I walked off the job. That was it. Because to me, spiritual laws and spiritual principles never change. I knew to put God first Money wasn't going to tell me how to live my life. And so does that mean that your family went under? No, I'll tell you, it was pretty tight for a while. It was tough for a while. But you know what I can also tell you? I know a lot of believers weren't principled in their lives. And today, my family serves God. My family's living for Jesus. My family's not in jail. They didn't die premature deaths. They're not addicted. They aren't living sexually lose lives. They're not out there on the streets somewhere. And so I praise God for that. The thing came full circle because I did what Jesus said to do. I did not let money tell me what I could do about my family, but I told money what it was going to do. I said, money, you're called to serve me. I'm not called to serve you. Amen. What do you tell us all that for, Pastor? I'm telling you that where we are today, we wouldn't be if I would have sold out back then. Praise God. I got a teamster's pension now. It's not the full one, but I got a pension. I got a partial pension. Our needs are abundantly met. We have more than enough. The most important thing is I've got kids that serve God. I've got daughters-in-laws and sons-in-laws that serve God. I've got grandchildren that serve God. And because I passed that big test back then, that I showed my kids how to pass tests, how they pass those tests today. Somebody give the Lord a hand. And you know, I, I, really, I really hope this is getting into you. And so Jesus doesn't mind you having money, but he doesn't want money to have you. Don't base all your decisions upon money. You can't do that. 
You can't do that. If you're going to, if you're going to serve God and have your needs met abundantly, they're going to have to come a point in time when sometimes you say no to some things out there financially, so you say yes to Jesus. Amen? Now, verse 25 to 32, so here's what Jesus said. Don't be a slave to money. He said, that's why I tell you, don't worry about life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. He said, life's more than food and your body's more than clothing. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. They grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God so wonderfully uh, cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, they're here today, thrown the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly take care of you. Why do you have so little faith? How does faith cometh? By hearing what? The Word of God. I'll tell you what the world's going to tell you. You can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. It's impossible, possible, possible, possible. But all things are possible with God. All things are possible to obeying God's Word. Put God first. He turns everything around. And so don't worry about these things saying. Now that right there is a big key. You need to circle that word saying. Don't worry about these things saying. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we there where these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And so that saying part, Jesus told us in Mark eleven twenty three, we'll have whatsoever we saith. We'll have whatsoever we saith. And so those worry thoughts hits everybody's minds. And you've got to train yourself to speak what the Word of God says about your life. When you see all those things out there and your mind's being bombarded, instead of saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I taught Mrs. Pastor years ago, working together in this, I said, you know what we're going to say? We're going to say the word's true. We're going to say because we're tithers, God has rebuked the devourer for us. We're going to say because we're tithers, the witness heaven opened on our family. We're going to say, because we live for God, Philippians 4.19 is working. God supplied all of our need according to his riches and glory. That's what we're going to say. We're not going to say, I guess it's over. I guess it's not going to work this time. I guess they're going to come and they don't take the phone out now because we don't have a phone in to take out. But that's what we used to have to fight off before we had cell phones. But they're going to take our phone. Couldn't pay our $6 phone bill. Somebody said, What? That's what the phone bill was, $6. That's back when the light bill was $15. That's when gas cost 40 cents a gallon. But those days are gone. But we never, ever, 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 ever let the devil overrun our mind with making us spurt out all kinds of fear and unbelief about what was going on. Did we have some trying times? Yes. But I saw the words of Jesus. Jesus said, unbelievers are all filled with fear about this. He said, they're all worried about what are they going to do about the kids' school clothes. They're worried about what are they going to do about gasoline to get to work. They're worried about what are they going to do about graduation money. They're worried about all these things. And so, worry is a form of fear. And fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is having confidence that God... He's going to take care of your future. 
Faith is having confidence that you believe what God tells you from His Word is going to come to pass. As you say it, you live like it, and it happens. Fear, if you will, is faith in reverse. Fear is having confidence of what Satan's telling you is going to come to pass. Fear is believing and saying, they're going to shut our lights off. What are we going to do? Fear is believing and saying, we can't get our car fixed. Oh, I'd like to be able to get that car fixed. We can't get our car fixed. That's what fear says. Faith says, God knows, because Jesus said, by God, by God knows everything I need. And if he takes care of birds, he'll take care of my car. Amen. Now listen to this. I'm telling you right now what Jesus said. We're talking about Jesus for you to have more than enough in your life. And somebody said, Pastor, that's hard. It is hard. It's very hard sometimes not to go by what you see. It's really hard sometimes to ignore that knock in your engine and know that thing's got to make it until you got money to do something different. Lay hands on that car and say, the car, you're running right in the name of Jesus. You're all I got right now. I bless you in Jesus' name. I'm a tither car. You're going to keep going. You're going to keep going and do those kind of things. But Jesus said the unbelievers, the unbelievers overwhelmed with fear about the future. He said, God knows already everything you need. And that's enough right there to know that God knows. And they said, God wants you to have everything you need. God wants us to live comfortably. God wants us not to live in fear and turmoil. And, you know, let, let me tell you what I've learned about my Heavenly Father over the years. When we're in the midst of the same trials that the unbelievers around us are in, we've got the peace of God in them. And then God shows up takes care of us then because we've got the peace of God. We're living right. Those people come looking to us for answers. They come looking to us, and they come to ask you, how come, how come, when they told you, I've heard this story so many times in California, out here, all these contractor jobs at the military bases. I've heard these stories so many times. Well, pastor, they put up our, whatever it is they do, those notes on the bulletin boards and things like that, that your contract's up in X amount of days, and don't know if they're going to renew it or not. And the believers keep on tithing. The believers keep on giving. And living their life as if nothing changed. Because they know that God's the one that said, I know what job you need. as there's plenty more where that came from. And so many times I've seen the believers out here, that contract ended. And either the contract got renewed. Or some other contractor hardened. Or they got something better than what they had before. And everybody else said, why aren't you worried? Why aren't you worried? Didn't you see what it said? And they said, well, we saw what it said. Well, we know what Jesus said. And what Jesus said is more credible than what they said. And so Jesus is the one that we serve. And because Jesus is my best friend, Jesus is the one that got me that job, Jesus will get the next job. Amen. That's what it is. It is not worrying about your future, but knowing that God's in control of your future if, if you let him be in control of your future. That's the whole secret. See, I don't go for this stuff that religious people say all the time. Well, God's in control of this whole thing. Well, if God's in control of this whole country, the boy, God sure did a bad job of our country. God is not in control of our country right now, in case you don't know it. God's in control of my life. God's in control of my church. God's in control of my family because we put him first. 
But a lot of people that control my country, they want nothing to do with God. So we're seeing the fruit of that. Amen? But God's in control of my future because I put my future in his hands. And God can be in control of your future too if you put your future in his hands. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Amen. And so uh, God not only knows everything we need for all the necessities of life, but he's more than willing to provide everything we need to live comfortably in life. He's more than willing to provide everything we need to live comfortably in life. More than willing. And look at verse 33. This is so good. That is so real. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So what you do about obeying this verse will determine if you live in abundance or lack. What you do, not what your pastor does, not what your boss does, not what presidents in office does, not who your congressman or senator are, but what you do. I cannot determine if my president's going to serve God or not. I can't determine if our political leaders are going to serve God or not. What I can determine is I am. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God above all else. I'm going to put God first, and I'm going to live right. I'm going to live right, and this says God will do his part to give me everything I need. I really like this verse in the Amplified Bible. Now listen to this real closely. Because, you know, I, th- I think that sometimes we don't really quite understand some of these other translations of what Jesus said. But the Amplified Bible says this, But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness. Now listen to this. His way of doing and being right. God's way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together, we've given to you besides Dr. Barclay says, we can't bow like a sheep and live like a pig expect to be blessed. How many know that Jesus says we're the sheep of his pastor? He's the good shepherd. And do you remember the story of the prodigal? The prodigal lived with the pigs, so he got the reward of pigs. But then when he came home and started becoming a good son of faith again, he got blessed again. So we have to realize as believers that Jesus said, it put the kingdom of God first, Now, I want you to really get a hold of this. He said, when you put the kingdom of God first, put God first, then you live right. And we're going to talk about some of the living right from the Bible in just a second. We're going to look at some things. But this is the key that I want to get across to everybody today, young families, young people. It's more than going to church. That's part of it. Church is just a small part of your week. But then every day of the week, Jesus said, live right. And you know, the thing is, none of us live perfect. If we live perfect, our name would be the Son of God, because he's the only one that lived perfect. And I praise God that Jesus passed every test I'll ever face in life. Jesus yielded to no sins that come his way. Jesus never yielded to peer pressure. Jesus always did what was right. And so I know that in my life, I do my best to live after his example. But I know that if I miss it, if I fall short, 
if I blow it, Hebrews 4.16 says, I come boldly to his throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need because he was tempted at all points like as I am yet without sin. And so I know my job is to strive to do my best for Jesus. But I know this, that man, if I fall short, he already said, hey, man, get back up and do it again. Get back up and do it again. How many times do I get up? As many times as I need to. To keep on doing what I know to do to live right. Because he said so. And then he said when we do that, put God first and live right. said everything we need he'll add. And so how can we know the difference between right and wrong according to God's standard? How can we know the difference between right and wrong according to God's standard? Well, I want you to look at Psalms 119. Psalms 119. And, you know, I want to say, I was telling one of the young people in the church this week, you know, we do this Bible thing every month. I, I pick out passages of Scripture. We put them on our website. They put it in the bolt of the first Sunday of the month. Of Bible passages, little short nuggets to read every day of the month as a church together. Say, Marina. And uh, Psalms 119 is the longest uh, chapter of the Bible. How do I know that? Because I went to my little son, grandson's Bible thing down at his Christian school the other day, and I heard him say that. <laughs> I didn't know it was the longest chapter until then. But back in the 1980s one time, I made it a project to make it all the way through Psalms 119, so I read it for a few days till I got it. But then last month, the Lord told me for our church Bible reading for this month, He said, give them these bite-sized nuggets. So this thing's divided into eight verses with the Hebrew alphabet. So every day we do another eight verses. That's a Hebrew letter, the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, anyway, in doing that, I've been very slowly with you every day, reading eight verses, and I'm reading them real slow, I'm putting yellow through them, I'm putting red around them, and I can tell you this, I feel like my born-again walk is fresh this past month, I'm getting so much freshness out of Psalms 119, that it's changing my life again, but I want you to look at this verse right here, I saw this nugget in verse 104, Psalms 119 verse 104, it's so good it talks about knowing the difference between right and wrong according to God's standard. It says this, through thy precepts, that's the teachings of God's word, I get understanding. Therefore, therefore, because I get understanding from God's precepts, I hate every false way. I hate every false way. And so very clearly, the difference between right and wrong in 21st century America, even in California, we can see from the word of God. Very different. We, we see this. And there's many things. Now listen to this. To live for God and put Him first, there's many things in modern America that are politically correct, but not biblically correct. And we as Christians have to know this. Just because man, or they pass some law that say this is right, if it's absolutely contrary to the Word of God, it's still not right. And we as Christians, we as Christians have to know that God said we'll know the difference between the false and the genuine. And he never said at one point in time there, we hate people that do these things. He said we hate every evil way. We hate sin. We hate sin. But we love people. God loves people. God loved us. We were still in the midst of that mess out there. He loved us through that. And praise God, he didn't throw us in the junk heap 
He stuck with us till we got right with him. So we have to know as Christians today, Jesus said not only put his kingdom first, but to live right according to what God says is right. And so just because all the world around us may be doing one thing, going a different direction, God said, live right according to my ways. Live right according to my standards. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words, they'll never pass away. And so we have to understand if we want to enjoy God's best, we're supposed to hate bad things, love people, but then we're supposed to go God's way every time. Amen. Can you see that? Amen. And so as born-again believers, we're very disgusted right now with the moral climate of our nation. We're very disgusted. And God's disgusted. And so we've got to know, as believers, we're a light to the dark world. We're a light to the dark world. And when we live right, because that's what Jesus said, he said, put God first and live right, that God can take care of all of our needs abundantly. As we live right, then we're going to change the minds of people around us. You know, I think about this Harvest Fest. I don't know how many people come this year. There'll be a lot of people come. I know this, they come to the Harvest Fest where they see Christians that aren't cussing, that aren't carrying on, that aren't looking like whatever, but Christians that are living right and having a good time together, and then they're going to they're gonna think, I might come back to this church sometime. I like these people where they are around here. Then they come in here, they're going to see people living right. They're going to see what right living is, and then they take it back out to their realm of influence. And then they begin to influence other people. You know what? Just because these legislators says that's right, that's not right. Just because these news broadcasters said this is what we ought to be doing, that's not what God said we ought to be doing. We're going to start doing right, amen? And that's putting the kingdom of God first by starting to live right. And so to always have more than enough, make it your number one priority to put God first and do right to the best of your ability every day of your life. I just wrote down some things that are just uh, simple things. But they're not hard things. Number one, read your Bible on a regular basis. Read your Bible on a regular basis. And I want to tell you what that means to help you. As a pastor, just to help you, read your Bible can't become a legalistic drudgery. There's some days still that I myself get so busy some days that it might be a day or two before I'm able to get in there like I really want to. But I do purpose at least every day to at least at the very minimum, I got a kid taking devotional. I read his devotion every morning and I do our thing from the church every day. And if something happens where life happens, because life happens sometimes, if life happens, then I catch it up in a couple of days. I go back and I thought, man, this is real easy. I read these two little devotionals that I missed yesterday. I'll catch these up and then I can read 16 verses to make up for the yesterday for a day like that. But if I don't, it's not the end of the world. And so, to put God first, do something to feed yourself continually, something from the Bible, but don't get some super-duper overwhelmed Bible study. Somebody tells you you have to read six chapters a day out of here, three chapters a day over here, 
and get over here. You get behind two or three days, then you got 16 hours worth of Bible reading to do, then you feel stupid, you feel condemned. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, I didn't do it. Forget that. If you're a full-time Bible school student, that's all you do. You don't have family, you don't have job, really do except do that. Then, man, get these big Bible study plans and sit there all day long and read the Bible, but then don't get stupid where you're not able to help anybody either. And so to put the kingdom of God first, read your Bible on a regular basis, talk to Jesus, talk to God every day. Talk to God, talk to Jesus every day, every day, every day. And, uh, you know, I, I think about something the Lord told Brother brother Copeland years and years and years ago. Brother Copeland got called up into doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing, don't know what it was. But finally he realized, after, after a period of time, wait a minute, this is wrong, this is sin. So he came to the Lord, he confessed and asked for forgiveness. And the Lord said, boy, I'm so glad you finally come to me, Kenneth. He said, I've been waiting for you to come that to me so I can help you. He said, you've been running from me instead of to me. He said, I didn't know about your sin when you confessed it. He said, I watched you at all the time you were in it, but I couldn't help you to confess it. So we as Christians have to know this. Jesus and God are not against us, they're for us. If we see ourselves getting into a bad road, heading on the wrong road, doing the wrong thing, he knows it. But he can't help you unless you ask him. And so then when you ask him, he can cleanse you. He can forgive you. He can get you back on steady ground again and help you start winning in life again. So just always remember this. When you're in trouble, even if you're the one that caused the trouble, don't run from him. Run to him. Amen. And then obey the golden rule. Do to the others that you have others do unto you. I'm talking about how to put God's kingdom first. What you sow is what you reap. If you don't like the way life's going right now, if you don't like the way people's treating you right now, then stop and look, how are you treating people? What are you doing about life? What are you doing about the decisions in life? And so what you sow is what you reap. Obey the golden rule. Come to church two or three times a week. I want to say that again. Come to church two or three times a week. Now, to some people, that may slap you upside the head, make you feel goofy. But the thing is, Satan is out there hounding you 24-7. So, is it going to hurt you or help you to give God two or three hours a week instead of an hour? Think about what I'm saying. Jesus said, put the kingdom of God first and live right. All this thing's bad to you. And so find a way, and you know, let, let me give you a test. Oh boy, I tell you what, sometimes the sports god, it's a big competitor. It's really hard to compete against the sports god. Well, Jesus said, anything's an idol that takes more of your time than God does. If you can sacrificially get up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning, do all those things, to take the kids out of school two or three times a week and spend extra hours at night time to do those things, then why not take some extra time to come to church for some spiritual exercise, some spiritual workout, and get something in you like that? Back in Indiana, it rained a lot. And I remember that sometimes in the bad rain or the snow, 
people say things like, oh, we can't come out. The kids might get sick. I'll never forget, we drove past a big football field on the way to church. It'd be pouring cats and dogs out. Those bleachers would be full. Those little kids out there in the rain playing football. They would think, man, they couldn't come to church in the dry church with the umbrella over their head and their little rain galoshes on and their raincoats because they might get sick from the car to the church. They'd play football out there in the rain, 30 degrees. Somebody said, how's that apply to me? I don't know. Yes, God. <laughs> Amen. Bring your tithe and give it to Jesus. We're talking about how to live right. Bring your tithe and give it to Jesus. Serve in some capacity. Serve in some capacity. You know, get to the place to where you want to help somebody else. Get to the place to where you want to let God use you. And you know what I found in life? How many know the Bible says that God gives anointing to all believers? We have anointing. What's the anointing? That's the presence of God in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And you know what I've learned as a believer, as a pastor? He gives me that anointing, not so much for me, but it's for other people. And so the more that you let God use you to help his people, the more anointing God will give you. That's the give that shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed out, shaped together, running over. That's anointing. The more you give, the more God wants to give you then. And so, in your life, to live right for God, serve in some capacity. And so you're a child of God, live like a Christian. Live like a Christian. On your job, say amen or oh me. Live like a Christian on your job. Live like a Christian when you're driving your car in California traffic. <laughs> California stops. Anybody ever been there? Hey, bad. Live like a Christian at the store. Live like a Christian. Now get this. If you don't look around, nobody knows he's talking to you. Live like a Christian on Facebook. Live like a Christian on Twitter. You know, the uh, Bible makes a statement, My brethren, these things ought not so to be. It ought not so to be. You mention the name of my good church on Facebook. And then the next post you put on there is about sex or cussing somebody out. Just do me a favor. If you're going to talk about sex and boozing and partying and how you love that life, unfriend High Desert Word Center. Don't put us on the same page anymore, okay? That's about as far as I want to go with that. But don't equate me and my God with your sin. And so if you're going to be on Facebook, live like a Christian on Facebook. And so anyway... You can finish this list. You can add many more things to this list, how to live right. But based upon the words of Jesus, put Jesus first, and you'll always have more than enough. Put Jesus first, you'll always have more than enough. Amen. Let's stand up. Well, I don't know about you. I preached myself happy. <laughs>